Welcome to I'm Game with Fred Croner. Today I'm joined by David Woods, a former colleague of mine at the News Gazette in Champaign and uh, more recently a, a sports reporter for the uh, Indianapolis uh, Star, right Dave? That's correct. And you've been over there how long now? Well, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a month short of 27 years. I can hardly believe it. Wow, I know. Time really goes fast. Well, a couple of things we want to talk about today, but I, I want to get started with uh, talking about the tribute to uh, former Illini uh, track and cross-country coach Gary Winicky last weekend. And uh, as a lot of people around this area will know, uh, he, he was a former Seymour resident and had kids that uh, went to the Muhammad Seymour School District. And uh, I think his daughter was a uh, um, on a state championship, or at least one, maybe two state championship relay teams. So um, his name is one that is familiar uh, throughout Central Illinois, uh, and I would arguably say uh, throughout the nation in terms of what he has done. Uh, so Dave, can you talk a little bit about the tribute? Uh, they, they named the uh, the new track field at the Merchant Park uh, Gary Winicky Track last weekend. Yeah, it, it it was it was probably one of my uh, almost gratifying days <laughs> I, I, I've ever be, I've ever been to. It, it was. So many of the track alumni who came back, you know, were from the, were from the 1970s, and you know, and that was very early in my journalism career. And as, as I reflect back, it was probably you know transformational in my journalism career. And those were really uh, some really special athletes on special teams. I think I realized it at the time, but uh, but uh, you know, seeing all those all those any of those guys again, including you know Charlton as Whalen, who uh, I think. I saw him once briefly at the Drake relays, but otherwise I really hadn't probably seen him in about 45 years. And uh, uh, I'm sure he'll be joining Illinois Athletics Hall of Fame soon. He, he was, he, in all honesty, he's probably the most dynamic athlete I ever covered on a regular basis. And uh, Craig Virgin and, and Mike Durkin were there, even members of the 1976 Olympic team. And, and those guys from the 70s have, have really have a strong bond because they, they show up for so many of these uh, occasions honoring coach Winicky and and uh, that was really a nice gesture on the university's part I mean the athletic director was there the chancellor um, and because Gary is not he was very uncomfortable with the attention and he's he's um, in, in probably in a lot of ways because his uh, his achievements are maybe undervalued or, or, or understated because he didn't win like an extraordinary number of big 10 championships although I did look up in, in Big Ten track and field history, only five coaches have ever won more, more than his six outdoor titles. So that's a pretty significant achievement, although two of the coaches ahead of him are also from Illinois, uh, Harry Gill and, uh, and uh, uh, Coach Johnson. Um, but I, he, he was, his teams were consistently good, and I think the fact that he was perhaps taken for granted, I, I crunched some of these numbers, and then in, in the one stretch, of 22 Big Ten meets, and that's indoors and outdoors from 1985 to 95, Illinois finished in the top three 20 times, 20 times out of 22. And, and since 1995, I think Illinois has maybe been in the top three, five or six times, five or six times out of maybe 50 Big Ten meets since then. So that, that to me, that, that really underscores, uh, you know, the sustained excellence he was able to assemble, you know, not only from his coaching, but track coaches kind of have to be a general manager because there's so few scholarships available. He, he attempted to have a total team by distributing, you know, to the, to the field events and, and to the sprints and so forth. He probably could have 
he probably could have padded his own individual coaching resume more by giving a lot of aid to distance runners, uh, but he didn't really do that. He tried to assemble a, a complete team and, and uh, you know, coached, coached four Olympians and but really all the statistics, all the things he did, you know, really might be all uh, overridden by, by the influence he had on, on so many people. And I, and I think that was manifested by, by all the track alumni who, who, came, who came back to Champaign-Urbana for the dedication last Saturday. When, you know, you, you look at his legacy and he, he coached uh, at the college level for part of five decades. I think he started in uh, the fall of 67 as a cross country coach and continued in that through, uh, through 2002, the 2002 cross country season. Uh, so 36 years there and then 29 of those years uh, also coached uh, head coach in, in men's track and field. So, I mean, to me, that's remarkable right there. I mean, even though, yes, they, you know, there's a lot of running in the cross country and track, you know, to be a, a head coach at a major university like that for, for you know, three decades plus is, is really remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, and, and they, uh, and they, you know, as I say, they, they, you know, they really sustained, sustained excellence. Uh, um, you know, early in his career, he had, he had a, an amazing collection of people. I mean, Illinois said, a, people might not remember, said a, a, what was a sort of unofficial, but it was a world indoor record in the uh, two-mile relay at the Houston Astrodome when they had a track in there. Um, Craig Virgin set a collegiate record in the 10,000 meters at the, at the 1976 Olympic trials. And then Bobby True, who went on to represent Liberia uh, in the Olympics, set a collegiate record in the indoor 600 meters. Uh, really, most coaches, even if they go there, are successful and go their entire careers. I mean, they don't they don't end up coaching, you know, three athletes who who uh, were collegiate record holders and and uh, uh, you know he may not because it's a foreign athlete he may not get all the credit he deserves for what he how he developed Marco Kors because Marco Kors was a very good half miler when he arrived on campus, but uh, it'd be hard to have a better. 1996 than what Marco did. I mean, he he almost won the NCAA titles at both 800 and 1500 meters. I think he missed in the 800 by less than two tenths of a second and went on to finish seventh uh, in the uh, 1500 at the Atlanta Olympics. Um, and then he, he ran in two other Olympics, but that was his that was his lone Olympic final. So I should say you, you can go on and on and on about all the um, uh, achievements he had. And you know, Craig Version was the only world champion in, uh, in cross country in U.S. history. Um, but but I, I think probably in, in all fairness, all overridden by the fact he, uh, you know, was such a good influence on, on so many uh, uh, Illini track athletes and, and, then, and, and then went on to be a, uh, you know, a, a, uh, have a, I think a rewarding kind of second career as the coach of, of, uh, of the Unity Girls cross-country team, which, you know, he'd never really coached um, girls or female or female runners regularly in his lifetime. And I, and I, th I think that was a, I think he really enjoyed that. And, and I think the, I think the, uh, the girls got a lot out of, out of out all the knowledge that he brought. I want to, I want to follow up on that, but before I do, I, I'm glad you mentioned the 800 meters in there because I was doing some uh, research on coach Winnicky. And, and one of the things I found out uh, he was referred to as the Einstein of the 800 meters. I have a feeling that came from just developing so many outstanding half milers. And then as I did some more research, uh, I found out that uh, as a, an athlete himself at, at Augustana College, he set the, what was then the school record in the 80-yard in the day. So 
uh, that's an event that uh, he had a long and storied history with, isn't it? Yeah, he he owned that. It was uh, it was um, um, I think I looked at he coached. So it's not just one guy. Eleven different half milers to twenty seven Big Ten titles, uh, and then in in this another ten year span, ninety two to two thousand one. Uh, Alani runners won the Big Ten 800 meters eight times. I mean that that's almost comical, uh, and 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 you know that's a fairly volatile event. And you know the other, you know the other Big Ten schools have scholarships too. And and uh, he was just you know he was just very gifted in managing that because it's kind of tricky. I don't think those athletes probably can hold their peak for more than about five or six weeks at that particular distance. And uh, of course, Coors won uh, one NCAA indoor title. It was an outdoor runner-up in 800, and then uh, two other NCAA runners-up in uh, Ron Phillips in 1972 and Ron Mango in 1973. And of course, he had that world record two-mile relay team. And they also won an NCAA indoor title in the two-mile relay one time, which, which and it was like a complete runaway. It looked like Illinois was in its own heat. They were so far ahead of second place. Like you say, a remarkable career. And then, so what, what I want to follow up with is you, you alluded to this with the fact that, uh, you know, sort of as a retirement second job, uh, he coached the, the Unity uh, Girls cross country at the same time that uh, Dyke Steward, who's a longtime Champaign Central coach, uh, coached the, uh, the Unity Boys. What, what do you think it takes about, uh, you know, for a person like that to, uh, you know, to kind of go back to the grassroots level, if, if you want to call it that? Well, you know, coaching is teaching. And, uh, you know, it's also motivation. And I, I also think, you know, some, some people just sort of command respect and authority and, and uh, you know, without having interviewed any of actually any of those unity girls, I imagine they, you know, felt like that they, you know, that they didn't want to you know, let down their coach. They wanted to, to do the training and do whatever it took. Now, he, I guess the, I think the year after he left unity, I think the unity girls might've won a state championship. I think unity might've won boys and girls state championships uh, in the same year uh, but that was I think the year after after Gary left but I mean you got to think that all, all that all that foundational work had, had been done had been done by him uh, the year before because you don't as you know you don't magically become a good distance runner in the next 10 minutes you know it, it takes uh, it takes time and miles and patience and training um, so I, I, th I think he, I think he really enjoyed it or he wouldn't have done it. He'd get it for a number of years and uh, uh, Dyke persuaded him to do so. And, and I, I think it was, uh, I think it was a rewarding experience for him. Well, and for him personally, it's probably kind of a way to finish up his career the way he started it, because before he came to Illinois, uh, he did a little high school coaching at both New Trier and, and Rockford Guilford. So uh, kind of, you know, ending his career, so to speak, and in, in the way it began uh, back in the, in the mid 1960s. You know, Larry Brown, the uh, basketball coach, always said he'd end up uh, coaching a high school team at the end of his career. I, I don't think he has done so, but it's not a bad idea. <laughs> That's for sure. So before we leave uh, talking about Gary Winnick and go on to other topics, I'm wondering if in your mind, do you think this signals a little bit of a change? It seems like so often anymore, so many of the, the naming rights go to, you know, maybe a donor or, you know, somebody like that, as opposed to, you know, back in the day, you, you had Huff Hall named after George Huff. You had um, um, Zupke Field for, for the legendary Bob Zupke. Do you think, you know, you're seeing more of a trend to go back now to, to naming uh, facilities after people that have just had outstanding careers? 
I don't think so. I mean, it, it is. They also call it, you know, the Gary Winicky track at you know Demersian Park, and and that and that family uh, donated all the money. I mean, it is really a nice facility. I don't know if uh, I, I guess people probably haven't had that much chance to see it because of the pandemic, but it is really uh, it is really well thought out. Um, I think really the Illinois track program I think was really damaged when they took the track out of Memorial Stadium and then just you know put it out in one of the fields out there by the South Farms. I still think it was ever very attractive. I don't know if it influenced uh, recruiting or not, but it couldn't have helped. And, and, and I'm hoping, you know, this might help because I, I was fortunate enough to be able to get out of the Big Ten meet and it, it was just terrific. Now they brought in electronic scoreboard and a lot of spectator aids for timing that the timing company did that. But it, it's just it's just a delight, good, great facility. I mean, there was some there was some world class marks in that meet. You know, we caught a great day. The surface is good, um, but it's just a terrific facility. But I, I don't think I still think the uh, in college sports money seems to talk louder now than it ever did. And, and as we probably continue to uh, continue to stray and, and deviate from from kind of the original idea of the uh, of the uh, you know the all around person, the develop the student and the athlete, uh, uh, we, we 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 probably trashed that decades ago. You know, Gary's a, a man of few words, so he was probably was uh, somewhat maybe even embarrassed at all the, the attention. Oh, he definitely was. Yeah, and, course, and, he, and he has a little trouble communicating since his stroke of a few years ago. But I think he, uh, he, 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 was, uh, he, he agreed to do this kind of for the, for the benefit of everyone else. If it had been up to him, he just would have met, you know, privately with some of his former athletes. And, 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 he, and, he, would, and he still likes to that, but he'd have been pretty content with that. Well, it's a great recognition, no doubt about that. So anyway, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the Olympics. Uh, are you going to be heading over to uh, to Tokyo uh, coming up in July? No, unfortunately, uh, um, I, I had been, I've covered every uh, Summer Olympics for the Indianapolis Star since Atlanta in 1996, and uh, and uh, Indy Star was wanted me to go and advocated for me to go, but we're part of, of the Gannett Company, and USA Today said no, so so I'm not going. So I, I will be covering the Olympics remotely. So looking ahead, uh, you're, you're hoping to get back maybe to in 2024 and uh, and catch some of the action then. I would like to, yeah. I I I, uh, I brazenly uh, proposed to my bosses that I, I I would like to cover the Paris 2024 and Los Angeles 2028 Olympics. So so uh, I I don't know if that'll if that'll really happen, but that's my goal. What uh, just in a general basis? What do you see happening with the with the? They're still calling them the 2020 Olympic Games, even though they're this year. Uh, you know, in terms of the the quality of the performances, because you know everybody was gearing up to you know obviously the the Summer Games in, in 2020, uh, you know, to be at their peak at that time, and then that didn't happen. Um, so you know now a year later, you you know you're you're coming back trying to be at your best, and then you know also looking ahead three more years is another Olympics. What? What do you think people can expect from the Olympic Games this year in, in uh, 2021? Well, obviously, it'll be a weird Olympics. We may have a uh, few spectators, and those we will have it will be all Japanese, although you think about if there's any country to have it. I mean, you know, it, it seems like the culture there, the, the Japanese are unfailingly polite. So I think they would probably be supportive of, of, uh, of all the athletes. You know, obviously, they'll root for the, for the home nation. Uh, the most, but but I you know I I think it I think we'll see 
performances on 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 a level of of what of what of what we've always seen. I, I was um, struck in Rio, Fred, especially because I think for I don't know because of the transportation or the expense or whatever. I think the attendance at the track and field events in Rio was the smallest since Amsterdam in 1928. I mean, for whatever reason, the attendance at track was just horrible. But um, but uh, that really didn't influence the performances. And I was really um, impressed by many of the U.S. athletes who, who knew it was in you know it was Olympics. They were they were they were just as focused. If there'd been you know 90,000 there and and you know, just just as conventional as it was. So for track and field, it may not be much different from what Rio was because the attendance was so small for that. But, you know, I think we'll see world records in swimming and I think we'll see some great performances all the way around and maybe kind of like a studio audience. But but I, I think even seeing from the NCAA basketball tournament, do people think that was a horrible thing? That they played it and there were so few spectators there well i mean i think we saw that a lot of the games were were just as compelling if not more so than we usually seen and uh it does add to the environment but uh if you cover sports as long as i have you realize that it does add to the ambiance and it can influence performances uh, the many if not most of the time quality of the performances does not depend on the spectators I think one thing that will be changed, uh, at least for, for some people, will be just who the competitors are. Because I know, you know, going into 2020, uh, there were some people, and, and Danny Bunch from Muhammad comes to mind, that, you know, she was going to try to make that her swan song, try to qualify for the Olympics that year. Um, but then when they, they got postponed, she decided not to continue ahead. So I think, you know, some possible Olympians that we would have seen competing last year uh, just won't have that opportunity just because it was too much of a commitment to to try to you know carry on for, for another full year. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that you know because she was a, a, a Purdue athlete and I, I I had emailed Purdue asking you know whatever had she continuing did she retire what she did so I, I didn't even know that she had 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 quit. Um, we had another um, Indiana former Indiana University steeplechaser who actually competed in the World Championships in 2019 and. And, and was uh, was a good bet to make the Olympic team in 2020, but Nike dropped his contract and he's got two adopted children, so he quit. So I think we've seen a lot of uh, veteran athletes, you know, that that almost took them out of, of one, of one uh, took them out of the Olympics, whether they would made the team or not, but they took themselves out of the mix in 2021. And then a few other younger athletes who would have had little or no chance in 2020 are kind of now brought into the mix in exactly. 2021, uh, we have a, a runner from Indianapolis named Cole Hawker, who um, who ran a 350 indoor mile and won NCAA indoor titles in the 3,000 and 5,000 in his second year at Oregon, and now he has a chance to make make uh, the Olympic team this year at, at age 20, and he, he was not even on the radar for that in 20 in 2020. Um, so it it, it is probably benefiting some younger athletes and, and it's ending the, the careers of some older athletes. What, what do you think it will mean in terms of the, the 2024 Olympics? Is it too far to look ahead to, to think, you know, will some of these people now, maybe if they, if they do well, be encouraged to, to continue on, even though they might not have otherwise, uh, or do you think we'll see more of a, a turnover? No, I, I absolutely think so, Fred. And you're actually one of the few people who, who has even brought that up because I've thought that all along in terms of an Olympian's life, you know, waiting four years sometimes seems like a lifetime. 
But I think with three, I think uh, psychologically, I think it'll seem a lot different. For instance, like even a year from now, it's like, oh my gosh, the Olympics are in two years. So uh, we have a, a diver, uh, David Bodai, who won Olympic gold on platform out of uh, central Indiana in 2012. He's going to try to make his fourth team this year. And he didn't even had originally was going to retire after Rio. Well, he's going to try to make the team this year. And then he'll be 35 in 2024. But his agent told me he thinks he's going to try to continue. So I, th I, th I think that that, that only that three-year window as opposed to four, uh, I, I think could, could influence a lot of athletes. And maybe even if they don't make it, uh, you know, to try again three years later, because I, I just think in a, you know, lifespan of an Olympic athlete that, you know, the three years just, just does not seem as, uh, as endless as a four-year wait. I agree, absolutely. Well, David, before I let you go, could you talk a little bit about the logistics of, from, from a media standpoint of, of covering the Olympics, what, the, the times that you've actually been there, what, what all is involved once you get on site? Because it's not an easy, just go from point A to point B, is it? No, but it's, you know, we're, we're, we're really kind of spoiled. It's not, uh, um, I, I, and all the Olympics kind of resemble each other in that regard. And you get, you know, you, there's a lot of, you're taking buses everywhere, uh, you know, so that, so that gets kind of old. But there's but there's a lot there's something there's a uh, intra Olympics um, computer system just called you know it's called, called info you know info 220 or info 2024 or whatever the year is and uh, there's a lot of you know results and bios and quotes available I mean sir someone could actually go to the main press center never go to anything and of course you wouldn't have you know a lot of uh, would have a lot of color and stuff, but you actually could cover the entire Olympics just from the uh, press center. But customarily, you take a, a bus from um, the uh, from your lodging to like the to kind of the main main Olympic. Um, oh gosh, what do you call it? Where, where most of the venues are. Now, sometimes there's some venues near the press center. Sometimes they're not. But if they're not, you know, then you take another bus from the main press center what the venue the venue is going to be and I, I end up spending most of my time really covering uh swimming and track and field uh, i think there was one olympics i hardly ever i hardly ever left the quote unquote compound till the very end i covered volleyball which was kind of in a, in a different on-site but um and and then uh, people may not realize too that there's something called a mixed zone and that's the area where athletes you know, exit, exit the arena or the pool or whatever, but they have to walk past this area and, and that's, and, and they can stop or not stop, but that's where the, the uh, reporter is able to interview them. And of course that, that they won't have that in, uh, in Tokyo, it'll be a virtual mix zone. So in some respects, not being able, not being able to go, you're not going to be much more disadvantaged than if you are able to go, because I'm not sure even that the reporters who go are going to be able to have you know direct contact interviewing uh, athletes because of the pandemic, but it's uh, it is a slog. It's like it's like seventeen. It's kind of like eighteen straight eighteen hour days. It does get exhausting. Um, you know we 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 all we all need uh, we all put our head down like kindergarten kids and, and take a nap on our arm from time to time. It gets so gets so tired. But it's also there's every day there's you're going to see something so stimulating that it's, uh, it's not too hard to keep going. And I, and I, and I love covering the Olympics and uh, would love to be there even during the pandemic, 
this time, but I'm 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 really hopeful of, of going to additional Olympics because I, I I really do enjoy the uh, the the global the global peaceful gathering of an Olympic Games. Well, I hope it works out for you, David. Any final thoughts before I let you go today? No, just I, I hope uh, I hope uh, people uh, get to see some more Illini track meets at home and 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 that the programs can. Uh, Build them back up, and then, and then, because that 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 was at at one time, you know, during during the late seventies, people like Charlton Whalen and Craig Virgin and Mike Durkin uh, made Illini track pretty popular, and it was really about the only successful sport on campus, so it, it had a pretty high pretty high profile than it would have. But I think this new facility is terrific, and I, I hope uh, I hope uh, they're able to uh, build some teams that that are live up to the quality of the facility. Absolutely. Well, David, I enjoyed your time today. We've been talking with David Woods, a sports writer at the Indianapolis Star and a former colleague of mine at the News Gazette. I, I always treasured all the times we worked together and I, I knew anytime I had a track or cross-country question, you were like a walking encyclopedia and you could give me an answer uh, usually within seconds. So I, I always appreciated that. Well, thanks for having me on, Fred, it was fun. Okay, we'll be in touch, thank you.